Got time for a quick story. June 12th, 1986. That was the day that my family moved from the Milwaukee area back to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. That's where I spent most of my early, early childhood and then moved back to Eau Claire, where I'm at now, back in 1986. And on the day of that drive, that Thursday, as we're driving from Grafton, Wisconsin, up to Eau Claire along the interstate and such, I heard No One Is to Blame by Howard Jones seven times on assorted radio stations. It wasn't even seeking it out. It kept coming up and coming up and coming up. And for a while, it was the most I had heard one song on the radio in a given day. It's a good song. Later found out that Phil Collins had an had a role in that song, which is good for me as a big Phil Collins fan. You can hear Phil Collins playing the drums in the background. You can tell his influence on what was the remix of that song. That was the version that was popular in 1986. Working with a talent like Howard Jones, who has worked a lot with electronic music, but also other music. He's a heck of a songwriter, has been involved with music since the mid-1980s in the pop music industry. His first album came out in 1984. He has a new album out in 2019, and he has a tour going on, which is the impetus for us to talk to Howard Jones today. We're talking with Howard Jones has a new album, Transform, that came out on May 10th. And his tour is going on this summer as well. He's going to be downstate from where I'm at. It's going to be down in Milwaukee at the Northern Lights Theater at Potawatomi Hotel and Casino on June 21st, performing songs from the new album and also classic songs. Well, let's start. And you've been talking, obviously, with a lot of folks about this about this new project. And it's part of a, yeah. a part of a four- part project, if you will. Go through the, and I know you talked about this before, but for our listeners, the genesis of Transform in particular as kind of a second part of four, if you will. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The first part was, was Engage, which um, which was uh, 2013, I think. Um, and then Transform, you know, Engage was, was about, you know, everybody needs to... Um, be involved. You know, we can't be bystanders um, in our own society. You know, we have, you know, we have to be engaged and uninvolved. Uh, and then there's Transform, which is, as you said, you know, um, was out in, in May. Uh, and that's about uh, if, you know, if we're going to change the world for the better, uh, for the happiness of all people, then we, we've got to start with ourselves and, you know, go through that personal transformation the way we view the world um, and the and way we act. Um, and that's the sort of general philosophy of the album. And then there's two more coming. One's going to be called Dialogue, and the third and the fourth one will be um, Global Citizen. I understand that Gary Barlow of Take That kind of was part of the... Part of the impetus for this particular music involving the film Eddie the Eagle, and of course, there's one song from that that ends up on this album. How did how did that kind of get you on the track for what we hear for Transform? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. Gary phoned me up and said, you know, he wanted um, a couple of songs for the film, and he sent me the the the, the script of the film, which I absolutely loved. And the story of Eddie the Eagle is, you know, one of great sort of personal determination and overcoming all kinds of obstacles and stuff right up my street. You know, I love, I love that kind of thing. So, um, the film which is set in the eighties, cause that's when Eddie Eagle was doing his stuff with his books and everything. So 
Um, new songs were needed, but but with an 80s flavour, but, you know, contemporary songs. And I was going back thinking about how I approached writing and making those first two records that I did, you know, the first two albums. And and it flowed very well. And I, I, I wrote those two songs very quickly, which is unusual for me. I usually take forever. And... Um, I thought, well, maybe these two songs could be like the basis of, of, of an album. I'll just keep going with this thinking. And I knew that the fans really wanted me to do um, a full-on electronic record again. And so, you know, those two things were great impetus for getting the album done, really. I understand you took made a point to take time to do the album. I know a lot yeah. of artists nowadays, yeah. like they'll, they'll find moments when they can write, but then they're touring or they're performing or doing other stuff and it'll come together. But I understand you've made a point of let's pause, let's put this together. How yeah. do you get into that mindset of writing these particular songs? Because there's definitely a lyrical theme, the idea of transformation, yeah. positive transformation in this album. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I did exactly what you said, you know, put the put the touring on hold and made sure that I was at home uh, and I had time, you know, because with me, you know, writing new songs and recording them and producing them, it just needs plenty, plenty of time because you need to keep re- reconsidering everything. And I just, I just, you know, said, right, you know, all, all last summer, you know, I'm not doing any shows, I'm just going to be at home if you're working on a new album. And, I mean, that's the only way to do it. Some people seem to be able to write on the road. I I, I can't because I'm, you know, I'm concentrating on the shows and just um, keeping fit and, you know, keeping, uh, <laughs> you know, keeping your health good and all that stuff. I, 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 uh, I, I just have no space in my head for writing. So I need to be at home, have some time and do all that, you know. As you're writing the songs and you want to come up with a cohesive project, again, something that it's weird to say that an album seems almost not of its time now, considering that's been such a core part of pop music for so long. But you you clearly sequenced the album to have a particular flow and you have the songs towards the end. Mother, such an emotional song. And then then the tempo comes right up at the very end. Did you write it all like? How was the writing process chronologically? Are you writing with an idea towards here's how the album will go, or did you have everything and go, all right, I'm going to slot this here, here, here to create a cohesive 45 minute story? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, well, as um, as the tracks are coming together, you you sort of you sort of give a picture. You know, you you get a picture of how it should run, and you know, you mentioned the the, the track Mother, and I knew I couldn't really have it anywhere. Early on in the album, because it's so, it's had such an emotional impact um, on pretty much everyone who hears it, including myself. Still, um, it, it had to be like almost the last track. But I thought I didn't want to leave people, you know, <laughs> with with that feeling for the last track. I thought I want to have something at the end that really is exciting and energetic and um, celebratory. So I thought, you know, that's. That was a no-brainer of how to do those two tracks at the end, um, but the rest of it, um, you know, I, I just experimented with with the natural flow of it all, really. And and you know, I collaborated with BT on on three tracks, and the very first track that we did together was the, uh, the one to love you, which is the first track. And I thought that really should be at the front um, because it's 
one of my favorites on the album. I heard that first, and I'm sure most people obviously heard that first when the video came out several weeks ago, and we played an excerpt of it on, on our radio station to highlight it a few weeks ago, right about the time the album came out. And my first reaction was, my gosh, this sounds just like the Howard Jones I've, I've heard for so many years. But but you're working with BT at the same time. So how yeah. – I mean, how did that – I understand you've known, him, you've known him for a little bit, but how did you get to know yeah. him – and two-part question, that and what musical style does he bring to your work? Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that's good. Um, well, I've been a big fan of his, a gen- genuinely big fan of his work. And I, I always saw him as uh, a pioneer uh, in the electronic music field of, of, of his generation. You know, and he, he produces, he, he does film music, he does DJing, he writes code, he... I mean, he's just a multi, multi-talented guy. Um, and I was, I was just a huge fan of his work. And so he was doing a show in, in Miami with an orchestra. I had to be there because I really wanted to see it and got to meet him afterwards and, you know, got on really well. And he said, look, why don't you come to the studio and we'll, you know, just, just a hang. And we'll... so we, we, I did that, visited him in Maryland and, Immediately we went in the studio and we started like jamming with all his synths and and you know all his analog gear that he's got. Um, and I said to him, "Look, man, we really should do some tracks together. This is just born." And he told me that you know he drew a great influence from my work when he was growing up. You know, and I don't collaborate with with hardly anybody. You know, I mean, I I like to work with people I know very very well and I I, I establish a long relationship with. But um, with BT, I'm such an admirer of his work. It was a natural fit. You know, he understands where I came from, and I really appreciate what he's what he's done to take the whole electronic genre forward, you know. Um, and so, it, yeah, it was really exciting working um, with him. And, you know, he brings a sort of quite um, amazing textured production, multi-layered production, um, you know, techniques, and I bring the sort of, you know, the tunes, you know, the sort of the big epic um, synth lines and, and you know, lyrics and, and you know, sort of, yeah, it just it just worked. It just really worked. I, I didn't expect it to work so, so well, but, but it did. It, it was just a joy to do. When you're writing, how does that process go in terms of, are you sitting down at the piano? Do you ever sit down at a synthesizer? Do you sit down at any instrument you're intending to use? How does the flow come when you're writing, especially for it? Because, I mean, you've done different musical genres over time. Yeah. So in a project like this, yeah. a more synth-oriented yeah. album, how does that approach go? Yeah, no, that's a good, good question because, you know, I'm, I'm you know, a piano player since the age of seven, this album, it was all written um, with the synths and the machines and the computer, and I, I, I only went to the piano occasionally to just to check um, a few chord changes and to get a few voicings right and things. But, but I, but I really kind of stuck to working with the electronics, and because that brings out a different style. You know, if I've written it at a piano, then that gives a flavour of that, even when you transfer it electronically. But if you work you know, in the electronic domain the whole time, it, it kind of has a different feel. So um, 
that's what I did. And um, and, and and it's interesting because the things I wrote, I can't actually sing and play them at the same time because a lot of the lines cross the vocal in such a way that I I can't actually um, play the part and sing at the same time. It's like um, you know patting your head and rubbing your stomach. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. I, and so that's why in, 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 in this show, I've got two, you know, two keyboard players and, you know, they, I'm mainly singing these new tracks, which I love. You know, I, I'm liberated from the keyboards a bit, um, which is giving me a chance to focus on, on delivering the song, you know, which is um, probably the most important thing to me. A lot of times people will say if a song can be performed acoustically, then that's a sign of a really good song that it doesn't yeah. need electronic effects and whatnot. But I believe, correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, you, you referred to, well, yeah. a, a, a piano and mm. a synthesizer. While mm. one is obviously electric and one is not, mm. they, they both mm. use the same essential mm. technique, yeah. and it's a human being doing something with that. Would you, would you mm. make the case that writing electronically still can have... The, the fundamental essence of a good song, even if it involves something that you technically have to plug into an outlet. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. I mean, uh, what, what's been a surprise to me actually is I, I have tried playing quite a few of the songs on the piano, and they work. Obviously, they don't have all the, all the detail of the, of the record, but they um, they work quite nicely, which I'm really happy about because I do a lot of acoustic um, shows as well. Um, but I think that there's one thing, you know, when you know, without, without getting sort of too technical, when you sit down at the piano, you kind of left hand is playing bass um, notes, and right hand is, you know, this is very simplistic, but uh, you know, playing is playing the chord shapes. When you come to synths, and often you've only got one, you know, one note at a, um, one note to work with, so it's very much all the lines are sort of interweaving um, and creating harmony. Um, you know, rather than having like a block chord and, and things like that. So so that's the difference. You create, it's more like a sort of tapestry of sound of individual lines that create, um, you know, create the piece. Whereas with piano, you kind of orchestrate it all in one go. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's fun, you know, it's a different way of thinking. What is the favorite synthesizer of yours you've worked with in your career? Well, it's it's got to be the Jupiter 8, and I've always said that. It was one of my first synths, and it is an amazing, amazing piece of gear. You know, it just sounds amazing. The, the, the software can't quite compete with it yet. It's getting close, but it can't quite compete with that. The sound that comes out of the Jupiter 8 is amazing. Um, and uh, a lot, I think it'll always be my favorite. It was the one that was on the cover of the new song, Single, my very first single. And, um, yeah, so it'll always be very special to me. Is that one of the instruments that I saw in the video? Because there was at least one I thought, okay, that yeah. looks like an 80s era one. Is that the Jupiter? Yeah, yeah, yes, that's right, that's right. There's a, um, there's a, there's a brand new keyboard in there. Oh, oh, which one are you talking about? Uh, the the, one, the one to love you. The um, one to love you. Yeah, yes, I've, I've, got, I've got the Jupiter in that, and I've got um, a brand new... Um, System 8 Roland as well, which is one of the latest things, so old and new. And then the keyboard behind me is, is, is a keyboard controller that I had chromed, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> you know. um, yeah. 
to some tour or other. I, yeah. What? Um, so yeah. If if I if I may on on the concept of technology, I'd, I've noticed lately there's seems to be a little bit of a movement in companies to try to recreate classic keyboards, which I suppose makes sense with just about anything in our society. If something was a classic, if it's a, like a classic. A piece of furniture, it's a classic piece of design, people want to maybe bring it back. And in keyboards, I know a lot of that has been software-based, but now I see there are some companies that are trying to rebuild the original classic 70s and 80s era synthesizers. I know like Oberheim is being talked about in Yamaha keyboards and stuff like that. What do you think, having grown up in all of these eras, what do you think of the concept of trying to recreate the originals now in addition to all of the latest technology. Well, I mean, I'm, I think it's great. You know, you know, with with what we've learned over the years, we can make those keyboards them sound great, but also make them re- reliable as well. Um, because you know, you could you couldn't you can't take those old synths out on the road. They they, they just don't survive one <laughs> gig. You know, so um, yeah, I think um, you know people trying to improve, um, you know, draw inspiration from what was done before and then but just don't improve it with the new you know um new ways of doing things yeah i'm i'm i'm, I'm fine with it i i just my only thing is that i think it's really important always to be working with um the technology of your day you know just looking back and going well the only good things that happened were in the past that that's not me um i'm always looking like you know i want to use the technology of my time you know, if I if you go back to you know the, a, the gold a golden era of classical music where you know people used to compose on a harpsichord, which you know doesn't have any touch sensitivity at all, and then the piano comes along, and you go, oh no, I I'm going to stick with my old harpsichord. You know, that's what the the classic sound is what I like, and they ignore you ignore this wonderful new instrument called the piano <laughs> you know I, I you know that's my analogy he's like we you know we really should be moving forward respecting the past but you know move forward too and to that point of looking towards what is now what what musical instrument of any genre any type whatever is got you most intrigued today whether it's technological acoustic whatever is most intriguing you um, what, what, what you mean? Um, you know, what in, uh, musical instrument? Um, I mean, I mean, I think, I think uh, what Moog are doing at the moment is really exciting. They, they, they've got a new uh, synth called the the Moog One, which is a polyphonic analog synth that um, that is just sounds amazing. Oh, that's on my shopping list. If I can, you know, they're very hard to get a hold of because they, they, you know, they can't make many. Um, but I, I definitely want to get one of those. That's exciting me a lot. You talked a little earlier about, and we we talked about working with other people, but that that's not a, a common thing when we're talking about BT today. It just so happens uh, there's a new there's a new release from Phil Collins of of B sides and remixes. It's not new music per se, but it, it just happens to be coming out mm-hmm. today and. 
the remixed version of No One Is to Blame, I remember being a particular fan of that back in 1986. I remember there was one day I was driving, I was actually moving to where I live right now, and I heard it seven times in one day on the drive throughout here in Wisconsin. So I, I remember hearing it a lot. I was always kind of fascinated by the remix of that. What was the process like? just honing in on this song, what was it like working with him to do the remix of that? There's definite aspects of his sound. It can hear the drums in there, mm-hmm. obviously your style. What was it like collaborating with someone like Phil Collins at that time? Yeah, well, it was great. I mean, it, it was it was quite a natural thing because I'd worked with Phil um, on in, in various bands, you know, we, uh, the Prince's Trust gigs and, and various charity things that we've done together so i knew phil and we you know we we hit it off um we got on really well and i i'd wanted to redo nona's blame and he you know we sent it to him and he really liked the song and we 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 made it in in two weekends it was like unbelievably quick he um he said look just program me up like a, a drum machine pattern for me to play to uh, and I spent I spent a weekend working on that. It's just a four bar loop, no two bar loop, um, and they, he absolutely loved it. And that became maybe the biggest hook in the song. And then I got my backing vocalists who were on tour with me, called Aphrodisiac, to come in and do backing vocals. I did the piano part in one take, um, and it just was a breeze. I mean, we didn't. It made itself very, very quick. I was surprised, but two weekends and it was done and mixed and ready to go. It's uh, it, and yet, like I said, it has your style because obviously it's a song you wrote, even even with mm. Phil's yeah. in, imprint on it. To the point of your yeah. thread of style, with all of the assorted genres you've worked in throughout your career. Mm. How would you, or is there a way you can define your core style regardless of genre, regardless of instrument, yeah. regardless of what kind of music you write? Well, you know, it's it's song. I love I love song structure, and I I love melody, and I love chords. Um, you know, that aren't too complicated, but surprise you now and again. So. You take the you take the standard you know pop song format and structure, and you just mess with it a bit, and so that there's always something a little bit unexpected. In fact, that's what Phil always used to say to me. He said, "What I love about your songs is that I don't quite know what's coming next. You expect something, and then you go somewhere else, mm-hmm. and that's what I've always tried to do. So it gives that little bit more you know interest to people." Um, and obviously, you know, the other thing is the lyrics. The lyrics are the most important thing, more important than the music to me. So um, what's being said, you know, is important. Lyrically, you do talk about in this album, and this has mm. been a, a, a mm. thread that I've observed throughout your career of positivity, but in, a, in its own way of like, mm. here's how we can we can progress individually and as a society. So what are ways at at the risk of sounding like life coach here, but what are ways that people can take this into action further from, okay, you hear the song, you get inspired. So what could a person do to make that into reality? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, the, the, the starting point I think is, is, is that how we, how we behave towards each other. So, 
even if we disagree with somebody's view, we can still respect their life and who they are. And, and that's the difference between disagreeing with their point of view and, and hating them, you know, for it. I mean, we, we, we have to find our common humanity through all of this. So, you know, a great place to start. I, I, I think, you know, I try and do this, you know, I say this to myself every day, you know, you know, whoever comes into my um, world today, I'm going to really try to re- respect their life completely. And if we disagree on stuff, let's try and work it out together. You know, let's try and come to some some agreement or at least agree to disagree. You know what I mean? And I think that taking the lead like that and going, well, if my life's not going the way I want it to, then I've got the power to change the course of that and I can make it, you know, I'm not going to wait around for other people to change it for me. I'm going to go, right, I'm going to take steps to, um, you know, to really have the life that I would like to. So we're going to wrap this up here with a talk about your actual tour that's going on and the concerts that are coming up again under a month from when we're talking today is when you're going to be in Milwaukee, but the tour starts even sooner than that. Great. What are people going to see when they go to one of your shows this upcoming year? Yeah, well, um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a very electronic show. It, I've got... Um, there's three people on stage, including me, me, Robbie on keyboards, and then Robin Bolt on guitar, and he's going to play a little bit of keyboards as well, I think, on the show. Um, we've got um, lots of visuals that we, you know, videos that we've been working on to, to illustrate the songs and to, you know, um, create um, a show with that, and uh, pl- probably playing six or so tracks from the new album. In, interwoven with, you know, all the stuff that people know already from my career. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we've started in the UK and it's been going really, really well. People have been really happy with the show, so that makes me very happy. And there are going to be plenty of people that are going to love it over here in the States. Howard Jones, again, the new album is Transform. I would strongly recommend someone take a listen. I enjoyed it myself, and I would, anyone listening to this interview, I would definitely encourage a listen. And they get the chance to head on down to Milwaukee or wherever they're listening to this interview from wherever in the world. Look up a nearby tour date uh, on the tour later this year. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to get a chance to chat with you, and good luck on the tour, and good luck with the remaining music uh, projects. Thank you very much. Well, it's been a Real pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for doing the interview. Yeah, that was really good chatting with Howard Jones. Like I said, listen to the full album. When I first heard The One to Love You a few weeks ago, I was immediately struck by the notion, this is classic Howard Jones. And yet it's not the same exact Howard Jones from 1985. It is a it is a 2019 version But it sounds like him, however you can describe it that way, however you can make that tangible. I will say, vocally, sounds the same as he did in the mid-1980s. You know, some singers, biologically, they're going to age and their voices will evolve. Sometimes they don't take as good care of their voices when they're younger and their, their voices don't sound as good as they get older. Howard Jones... If you told me that had been recorded in the mid-80s, the vocal part, I would have probably believed you because he sounds the same and he's still, he's got it, instrumentally and vocally. I strongly recommend you give Transform a listen and also go see him on tour if you get the opportunity. 
Thanks, as always, to Greatest Hits 98.1, my employer here in the Eau Claire area, for providing the studio to make this recording. You can listen to this interview at the Greatest Hits 98.1 website at greatesthits981.com. Of course, if you're listening to this podcast-wise, well, you you know where you're listening to it. Well, make sure you subscribe to the Got Time for a Quick Story podcast. It is available, as always, Apple, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all good places to listen. Got time for a quick story? I'm Luke Anthony.